Hey everybody, Raul here for Bass Musician Magazine, and today we have the extraordinary honor and pleasure of chatting with none other than Rodney O'Quinn. Yay! Woo! <laughs> There we go. So those of you that have been paying attention, perhaps you've seen Rodney on stage with Foghat. And Fog in, hat, yes, in years prior, you might have seen him on stage with the Pat Travers Band. And mm -hmm. certainly there's lots of interesting stuff to talk about there. But as always, Rodney, we like to go to the past. How did you get started in music and particularly on bass? It was as simple as my best friend got a guitar for Christmas. He joined these three brothers that already kind of had a little band. And he comes to me and says, hey, you know, we need a bass player. You should get a bass. <laughs> hey, Mom, Dad, can I have a bass? I don't really know what it is, but can I have one? Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's how it all started, uh, just that simple. And then, of all things, literally my first gig ever was at the uh, elementary school I went to. I was in sixth grade at that time, but they literally – brought the whole school into the auditorium for us to perform our very first concert ever. And I remember our parents are all freaked out. It's like, oh, what are we going to do if they don't get on stage? Yeah. <laughs> but we actually actually got a, my mom still has it. It's like a, the a local newspaper, today newspaper, like half a page of the front section of the people. We made the cover of the people section in the uh, paper. So my very first gig, you know, I had press and everything. <laughs> And then the bug bit me. <laughs> I was there like, you, hey, there's something to this. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So are you self-taught or did you pursue lessons? Yeah. yeah. Um, when we first started the uh, that, and that, that initial group, the keyboard player, he was kind of like the genius of it. He was kind of like a classical prodigy, but he loved Elton John and the Beatles. So he would like kind of school us a little bit mm -hmm. and kind of guide us just a tad then from there, everything was just, just myself. I just kind of would teach myself. Nice. There was no YouTube back then. <laughs> yeah. There was a lot of scratched records because you right, were lifting. I was say, there was a lot of messed up vinyl just trying to pick <laughs> the needle up and drop it, pick it up and drop it. So the crazy thing is, you know, I started, I literally started playing when I was like 10, 11 years old. Some of the bands that I first started getting into, there was once, of course, I went from like KTEL Records, Goofy Greats to like Kiss Alive. That was my transition. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, yeah. you know, there were certain bands when I would try to learn stuff, but you know, I well, I would get, well, obviously Kiss. I, I can never play Kiss, my Gene Simmons. But there were certain bands when I would play their stuff, I would go, I can vision me playing with these guys. The crazy thing is, is Fawcat Live came out when I was 11, and that was one of my go to records. Oh, wow. And fast forward in life, Greg McGregor basically handpicked me to come in. So I was like, how does that happen? That's like a Mark Wahlberg uh, rock star movie moment. I used to have pictures of these guys on my wall. Now I'm one of them. There you go. There you go. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. But, um, you know, certain people, I mean, I thought I could play with and thought good. And then later in life, I kind of certain ones I did. I mean, uh, Ted Nugent was another one. Now, I've never played with Ted Nugent, but I did gigs with Derek St. Holmes, which was the first big singer for Ted Nugent, Stranglehold. That's Derek St. Holmes singing. And then when I first got in Foghat, Charlie Hune was still in the band. Well, Charlie Hune was with Ted Nugent after Derek. He was like with uh, Ted Nugent 78 to 82. 
So I got to play with two of Ted's singers, and I know Ted. Nice. <laughs> We've met. Um, and then, like, uh, I got turned on because I started playing with older guys at a young age. And, uh, you know, I had guys turning me on to Montrose and Grand Funk and stuff like that. So I started dropping back. And uh, here later in life, you know, I did gigs where I played right alongside Mark Farner and I did gigs where I played with Ronnie Montrose, you know, God bless his soul. Yeah. You know, I was on the phone with Ronnie because we did, uh, well, it's with Pat, I handled his business too, but we did a tour package initially where we as Pat's band, core band, we played behind Pat, uh, Mark Farner, Ronnie Montrose, and Derek St. Holmes. So it was like uh, we build it to festivals, you know. So you gave, you know, kind of four 45-minute sets, minimal backline because you kind of – everyone used a lot of the same stuff, and then you just swapped guitar players and singers. So um, that was a huge success when we did that. And then uh, we were already working on a package where it was going to be Pat and Ronnie, and we as the band was going to be the core band behind them again. And I was on the phone with them, and then like a week and a half later, all of a sudden, I, uh, the uh, agency I was working with, all of a sudden, they called me, and you know, unfortunately, Ronnie was no longer with us no more, so that was pretty devastating. Gotcha. Yeah, I had a lot of great conversations with that guy. Wow. Very good. Well, the challenging thing is, as the years go by, there's been so many extraordinarily yes. talented people that we've lost well before their time. Yes. So... And then there's some uh, out there, you know, like right now, buddy guys, you know, 85, 86, might be 87. I don't know. He's yeah. getting up there, but I mean, dude's like a firecracker. <laughs> he, yeah. makes the he makes the Energizer buddy look like he's sitting still. There you go. There you go. Well, and you go, how is this even possible? I mean, you know, yeah. at the two ends of the spectrum. But yeah. taking a, a, a step back, the Pat Travers band, how did that gig? Because not only were you bassist, but you were doing a tour managing stuff as well? I booked, tour managed. I was the accountant. I was the travel agent. <laughs> I was the merchandise guy. <laughs> I, mean, I had streams of revenue. There you go. I'm a bit, I am a bass player businessman. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so... And that was one thing I had had a relationship also prior to, you know, even Craig meeting with me. I had a relationship from a distance of with uh, Linda Earl, which Roger Earl, drummer of Foghat, that's his wife now. But she's forever and a day been involved in Foghat business. Mm -hmm. She worked for their management company back in the 70s. She goes all the way back to, I think, 76 is when she started with Foghat. But there was times she would see, you know, like if she was like, have, dealing with a promoter or a venue and uh, she would look and see well who's been there that maybe I can reach out to and I would do the same so we would compare notes on different venues different promoters and stuff so when I came in she liked it because I got the business side yeah you know what she went through she knew that I understood it all mm -hmm. and um, and at times I would kind of when someone would guy oh we should be getting a lot more money again now we're getting paid great and like this is how quick it all breaks down to nothing see yeah <laughs> so because you know you have a lot of musicians their simple math is is like well you should just take the money and divide it by four well you forgot about the agency you forgot about the flights you forgot about the hotels you know yeah you forgot about the road crew, yeah. 
It is a very complicated formula when it when you it boil is. down. It is, and I tell you what, I, I tell her on a daily basis. I do not emulate. You know, I I know, and it just the things you go through on a daily basis now, especially after the pandemic. Oh my gosh, mm-hmm. you know everything skyrocketed. I remember when I first started handling the business for Pat, I could fly four of us from Florida to California and back for like $1,600. Okay, the last time I booked a trip for Pat at this point, we just did it three-piece, and it was $3,000. Oh, wow. And that was in 2016. I couldn't imagine what it is now. Sometimes Linda would go, oh, flight's ridiculous. I'm like, nah, I don't want to hear <laughs> There you go. Well, and yeah. that transition again, you went from Pat Travers Band to Foghat. Foghat about kind of a little overlap there, I think, what, 2015 with Foghat? Yeah. Yeah, I actually started, and what it was, you know, with Craig's health issue, it started limiting his ability to travel. There was a couple other bass players that were bouncing around some, playing when he couldn't, but then... I guess, you know, as it started to get a little more serious or about the same time, you know, a lot of the road crew guys had already seen me and they're like going, you should be calling Rodney, yeah. you know, and they would always tell me when they would see me, hey, I keep telling them they should call you. Uh, well, I happened to play in Craig's hometown the weekend that he was off. So him and his wife came out and saw the show. We hung out and then afterwards we talked and then he was like, at the end of the night, he's like, well, what time are you leaving tomorrow? I go, well not leaving town to about 11. He goes, okay, I'm going to pick you up at eight. I'm going to take you to my house and cook you breakfast. <laughs> so I'm walking into his house. He's got his gold records on the wall, all this platinum and stuff. I'm like, oh. yeah. <laughs> you know, and we sat in his kitchen, you know, I mean, Craig was a great chef. There was a point in time, even uh, when he wasn't playing fog he had a, I think he had a little restaurant, but I know he was a sushi chef, all sorts of stuff, you know, but, I mean, he whipped up this incredible breakfast that I'm like, <laughs> And uh, we sat and talked, you know, for a long time. And then he finally all of a sudden goes, you know, if this was to come available, would you be interested? And I'm like, well, I'd hate to see you leave because you are, <laughs> you know, yeah. all I know of Fog Hat. And I said, well, you know, I throw my name in the hat. And then I really didn't think much more about it. And then about... Two or three months later, you know, Linda called. Mm. And they were going to be at SeaWorld in Orlando, Florida. And I live down in Florida. And I happened to be off that weekend. So it's like perfect timing. But they were doing two days, two shows a day. So I come over there and, you know, finally it was like, well, I have you sit in on one song this first show? It's like, yeah, sure, whatever. You know, what song do you want to do? I pick one. I don't care. Pick one. So I can't remember what the first one was that we did. But the first show, I just did one song. So then they come, Roger comes to me on the second show. He goes, all right, well, we'll do that one. And what other one you want to do? I said, no, let's do something different. Are you sure? I'm like, yeah, yeah, let's do something different. So then, yeah, we did two other songs. So then the next day came back and it was the same thing. I had two different songs. I had two different songs, you know. So at that point, you know, I played seven songs unrehearsed just walked out man waved and played and, and walked off and uh, at that point they go well yeah you know craig had already told roger you know mini me he's the guy mini me mini me and after our morning of having breakfast and then i you know i met everybody else and we went through all that and then it was like okay yeah this is working and uh, that's where we went from there yeah. but i remember my buddy was that i had met 
you know, throughout the years with Pat Travers, he actually was covering for the guitar tech on that particular show. And he even told me on one song, Honey Hush. And uh, he was like standing, he said Craig was standing right beside him. And we finally got to that one point where all of a sudden kicks like, da, 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 da. And as the thing as soon as we got done, Craig just leans over and goes, he nailed it. <laughs> nice. Uh, it was really great to have uh, Craig's vote of confidence because, you know, growing up, he was he was one of my go-to listen-to guys. So, mm. I used to have these guys on my wall, now I'm one of them. <laughs> <laughs> indeed, indeed. Well, and as you've been with Fog Hat, we've got a little exciting news for people. New album dropping November 10th, Sonic Mojo. Yes. Yes, I actually, in, uh, when I first got in the band, they were doing Under the Influence, and I actually played on a few tracks there because mm-hmm. Craig hadn't finished. Um, and uh, so I played on two or three there. And then since then, we've done like a live CD, Live at the Belly Up, and then we did uh, Eight Days on the Road. That was a CD DVD. Okay. But now this is going to be the first studio one, now with Scott Holt in the band. So uh, it's been really cool. Tim Simmons and, you know, late Ken Simmons, uh, mm-hmm. prior, he was writing a lot of songs. So Roger's like, Kim, won't you write us some songs, you know? Because Roger and Kim were still great friends. And so he did. He actually wrote four. And, and we got to listen to I was like, well, wow, these are all great. You just kind of took the pressure off us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh um, but yeah, I mean, it's kind of it's it was kind of a different blend, and it came together in a little unorthodox way, because Roger was getting ready to have shoulder surgery, so we wanted to hurry up and get drum tracks first. And so mm. well, we're not sure what we're going to do yet. <laughs> so, uh, but we all got it, you know, pulled together, and it was like, wow. When it was all said and done, it's like, man, that's some best cooking with grits. <laughs> <laughs> Which is appropriate because this is it's, it's, you're kind of in the realm of blues rock kind of i get especially with the slide i i get kind of southern yeah. rock kind of stuff oh no not southern it's boogie it's boogie okay okay <laughs> i stand corrected i think whenever i hear the 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 slide guitar yeah oh yeah brian brian is phenomenal slide player yeah you know yeah. which you gotta be because i mean the original guy rod price i mean oh my god he was electrifying when he played slide nice but uh, yeah brian's fantastic Gotcha. Yeah. Well, and that's a, that's a, that's that's a almost like a lost art. There's not really many slide players anymore. I mean, Derek Trucks is phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, but you don't really constantly hear of people that's like having a reputation of being a slide player. I mean, they're out there, but just nobody that just really stands out. Well, and I think it ends up in kind of Nietzsche with the kind of music that you guys are playing. And as I mentioned, even though this isn't country, but you do hear it. Still yeah. in, in in that genre. Right, right. Yeah, and then when we did the CD, we've got a, a kind of a wide variety of things. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got, you know, some uh, boogie rock type stuff. We've got blues, a little bit of slow, a little, little bit up-tempo. We cut Mean Something Woman. <laughs> okay. But it was like a blues tune, but we actually cut it kind of with a Latin feel. And it's like, wow, that's kind of cool. At first, I'm like listening to it because they laid the, these tracks down and then come back. All right, you put bass on. I listen. I'm like, man, I have no idea what I'm going to do here. <laughs> but all of a sudden, it just happened. I go, wow. I don't know what I did, but it worked. And everybody's like, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, one that popped for me was Driving On 
right? Driving on. Yes. Yeah, that's a good tune. I really like that. Yeah, it's good. And we're playing that live already, and people are liking that. And then she's a little bit of everything. We're playing that one live. Nice. And and as of our last show, we actually played I Don't Appreciate You. Okay. Yeah, which is almost like a, kind of a punk rock one. <laughs> I know, I know. There's, there's some nice variety there. Yeah. I'm sure when people are listening, and one of the things, especially the other bass players, always kind of want to know a little bit, how are you getting your sound? What gear are you playing on? Literally, I recorded the CD with just a Sans amp and a compressor. Nice. Didn't even yeah. use an amp. It was just a Sans amp DI and a compressor. Live, you know, because the way that we travel is all fly dates. So, you know, backline, you're kind of, you know, you, you go to the standards, you know. I use the Ampeg 810 cabinet, obviously. And then uh, I prefer the actual, the Ampeg 4 Pro. I prefer that over, like, the AllTube Classic. For some reason, it just, the AllTube Classic just doesn't work for me, and I just don't know why. Mm. I can play, and it just sounds mushy. Hand it to another guy, and it sounds fantastic. I take the guitar back, I play, it just sounds mushy. It just, for some reason, just, it never really worked for me. I don't know why. It's the great mystery. Hmm. But the the, uh, 4 Pro, which is a hybrid, it's a uh, tube preamp, but MOSFET power. Nice. That works for me. And that's easy, readily available. And then my second go-to amp on the road is the the GK1001. You know, because they're readily available. I would prefer to have 15s, like double 15 cabinets. I would prefer that over like the 810s, but the 810s is like everybody's got them, you know. Or even the uh, the the uh, 610 cabinet by uh, Ampeg. Okay. That's a great sounding cabinet because it's a it's a it's a mixture because the top four speakers are sealed, but the bottom two are ported. Whereas an 810 cabinet, they're all sealed. So uh, it gives you a, it, it, the sound develops and blooms a lot closer to you. An 810 cabinet, you know, by the time it gets off the edge of the stage, then the sound develops. <laughs> nice. So, but uh, I love the sound of 15s. Probably the best bass rig I ever had. It was, uh, I had these, uh, they were PV215 cabinets, but I loaded them with JBL E140s. And I had a Crown Power Amp pushing them, a DBX compressor, and I had a P, it was a PV Pro Base 1000 preamp. Oh my God, it sounded phenomenal. And when I was with Pat, we did a show with uh, Peter Frampton, and John Regan was playing bass with Peter Frampton. And I noticed he had one of those PV preamps. He's like, oh, dude, that's been the secret of my sound forever. I'm like, yeah, I, I, yeah, I can't believe they quit making them. <laughs> There you go. And what basses are you playing? Right now, believe it or not, this last year, I was in Dave's Guitar in Milwaukee. And I was noodling around. The the guys were guitar geeking out. And I was checking out basses, just scooping off. But I kept going back to, they had a Paul Reed Smith bass in there. S-E. Like a $700, $800 bass. Played great. Reminded me of my Spectre. My, uh, I got an old Spectre NS. Hmm. Neck through body and had a nice chunky neck to it. And it had a very nice mid-range sound to it. And I was like, wow, this damn thing this sounds great. Feels great. Prior in, ended up getting, actually, my guitar tech at the time, uh, 
he knew I liked it, but I wouldn't open up the wallet. But <laughs> and now we had a super, you know, lifelong friendship that like a week later he shows up at my house with it and he goes, I knew you wasn't gonna buy it, so I bought it here. Nice. <laughs> I'm like, oh dude. <laughs> but that was his thing thanks to me, because I mean throughout the years I threw a lot of he was also he was mainly a sounding. You know, he had done a lot of stuff. You know, I had pushed a lot of stuff to him. Then that was his, kind of his way of, they appreciate you, bro. And I'm like, oh, dude, nice. shucks. Nice. <laughs> but I've been playing it ever since. It's it's not an outrageously, like I said, it's only like a seven $800 bass, but it sounds great. I've had a longtime friends of mine that's like guitar geeks see me with it. And they actually go, man, that guitar just fits your body. You know? Yeah. Prior to that, I was playing a landing bass. It's kind of like a jazz bass, but it's a custom builder in Pittsburgh. Okay. Uh, landing guitars. His real claim to fame is, is he makes short scale basses that have incredible sustain and punch. Hmm. Most short scales don't. And he actually makes one that looks exactly like a Stratocaster. Pickup layout and everything. You, you look at it, it's like, well, that's a Stratocaster with four strings. Weird. But he, he does that. Craig had one of those landings. I go, wow, I really dig that. So I got one. And uh, then before that, with Pat, I was playing a fretted Tony Franklin model okay. Fender. Yeah. Back then, when I got it, Tony was artist relations at Fender. So uh, Pat had called him up, and he's like, yeah, we were getting ready to record a Fidelis CD in the producer insisted that he wanted a passive bass and of course i was playing my specter which was active so we got a hold of tony and that was his thing because i got it off the assembly line because i put some of my mojo on it and i sent it to you nice nice <laughs> yeah. but i played it for a long time you know i've still been threatening to, to bring it back out because i know she's lonely <laughs> indeed indeed well you have to revive the magic that is in yeah. each of the yeah. instruments and give them exposure to let it, you know, let it ring. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And do you have a preference in strings particularly? You know what? And that was one thing I learned from Tony Franklin. I uh, used to be like I just kind of, a string was a string to me. I never had the aha moment mm -hmm. until Tony had sent me the bass and he had it strung with DR sunbeams. Okay. Okay, the sunbeams, they have, it just had a real buttery feel to it, you know? That's the only way I could kind of mm -hmm. explain it. Even though they were new strings, they just, they still, I just, it sounded greasy, nice. you know? And I just instantly, I loved it. And that's what I've been playing ever since, you know? And it was that was truly the first time to me. Otherwise, it's like, eh, it's time for new strings, put new strings on. But it was like never, you know, it's like, okay, it sounds like a new string. It was never like, oh, I get it. Whereas that particular brand, and I used a couple of their others, but it's the sunbeams. There's something gotcha. about the DR sunbeams that just, you know, speak to me. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, yeah. and as we look forward, I know, again, when the album drops, Sonic Mojo drops November 10th. Yes. What yes. other plans are there in the future for you and Foghat? Just to play. That's one thing. Roger, you know, as long as Roger's ready to go, we're all ready to go. And as far as Roger, a couple of years ago, the end of the year, we're like saying, well, Roger, you know, it was a great year. We've been real busy. And it's like, well, what do you think? He goes, 
I was having to talk with my hands the other day. I said, boys, how much longer do you want to do this? So they told me we're good for at least another 20 years. There you go. There you go. So, so that's it. Here's to it. I know Roger does everything to keep himself healthy and fit to do exactly what he was born to do. And if there's one consistent force in the fog hat machine, it's Roger Earl. Nice. You know, back when there was times where others would, you know, shy away and not want to play, Roger always did. He still runs circles around us, and we're the younger guys. Wow. And, um, and so I guess if people want to know where you're going to be, what you're up to, best place to look online, foghat.com? Yep, foghat.com. We keep that stuff updated every time there's something new. It's like instantly posted. But, uh, yeah, we do. Like I said, we're doing fly dates. You know, it kind of gives us chances to bounce around. Like mm-hmm. this weekend, I'm going to fly out tomorrow. Oh, God. Yeah, fly out tomorrow. <laughs> I'm flying out to Boston, which tomorrow is considered a travel day. Okay. I'm going to play, we're going to play Thursday night in Boston, and then we're playing Friday night in Las Vegas. So with fly dates, you can bounce all over the country. <laughs> but, uh, you know, with us doing fly dates like that, we still do about 60, 60 plus shows a year. Uh-huh. And at this stage of the game, man, that's, that's a pretty good amount. <laughs> I hear you. So. Well, very cool. And I know, of course, in addition to the website, social media, Facebook, Instagram, all that, looking at Foghat or at Foghat Official, I believe, on Instagram. Also, see what you're up to there. That's it. You know, we're just doing what we can while we can. It's like we're going to roll till we're old and rock till we drop. Road (laughs) fever, baby. (laughs) There you go. Well, Rodney, we appreciate you taking time from your busy schedule to chat with us, folks. You've seen him here on Bass Musician Magazine, Rodney O'Quinn. Hey, thank you very much.